Hello, and welcome to the QBW Podcast with me, your host, Carol Holtzclaw. Let's dive right in. Well, hello, Dr. Isabel Mills. I'm so happy to speak with you today. Morning. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. And for those of you that don't know, Dr. Isabel Mills is an associate professor, recently promoted, and trip coordinator at the University of Indianapolis. Um, and also an old friend. You know, I, I feel like we've known each other from 100 years ago, from a different lifetime. Now we're moms <laughs> and, and yeah. working and, and doing uh, all the things. So um, I just would love to know, what does that mean, um, your current role, and what mm-hmm. you do at the University of Indianapolis? And then, um, yeah, just start from there. Okay, well, this is my seventh year. I can't believe you've been doing that for seven years. That's insane. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) seventh year, seventh year back, promoted and tenured uh, last year. Uh, The UND is also my alma mater. Uh, I went Mm -hmm. there as an undergrad. I played on the women's basketball team for four years. Um, So currently associate professor and internship coordinator that means a lot a lot of different things mm-hmm. um i teach i teach three to four classes a semester in addition to supervising interns on their placement uh i was put in the role of internship coordinator just last year and basically what that means is, in addition to supervising interns, I kind of help them in the onboarding process, the approval process. So there's some steps they have to go through before they're approved to start an internship. And I kind of have to be that liaison between them and our department administrators and making sure they check all their boxes, cross their T's, dot their I's, those types of things. Um, and that that's basically it. In addition to teaching, uh, do a little bit of research here and there, mm-hmm. um, picked up quite a bit of service as it relates to the sports industry in the last few years. And I'm proud of the things that I'm doing in that area as well. Cool. Oh, my goodness. All the things. Um, but I wanted to actually let's hear your superwoman origin story so for you to be young because you're young um and to be a tenured professor I think that most people think oh that's something for somebody who's older or has <laughs> you know like you get tenure and that's like something to aspire to and that takes much longer in your career for so um I mean being incredibly ambitious and intelligent I just you know I just want to hear how did you get to where you're at um and I also think it's incredibly um, significant that you are a student athlete and you're now at the place that you played basketball. So um, if you just want to tell us your background. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, one of the reasons I'm so young at this stage is because I was in school a very long time. You know, many people... <laughs> <laughs> many. <laughs> Many, I didn't stop, you know. Many people take a break, you know, they get married, they have kids. Well, you know, when I graduated from UND in 2009, you know, the, the economy wasn't the best. So the best thing for me to do was stay in school. Uh, I was for, afforded an opportunity to go to Indiana University down in Bloomington on a graduate assistantship. And while I was there doing their master's program, I got introduced to a lot of different interesting people in higher education that, you know, to be quite honest, I had never met before, you know, people that looked like me that were doing great things in terms of research. And I learned what that actually meant as a Mm -hmm. master's student and it intrigued me. So I was like, you know what, I think I'm gonna, gonna try this out. I'm gonna stay here. You know, I had some ideas percolating of where I might go in terms of a research direction. They obviously changed several times, but 
Um, once I decided to get my PhD, um, I stayed at IU. Uh, and the best thing about you know their program is is the funding. You know, many people can't say they were a scholarship athlete and then went on to get assistantships. You know, at the masters and doctoral level. So I was very fortunate. Uh, to get funding to stay at IU uh, and complete their PhD program. So mm -hmm. once I decided to do that, I uh, didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but, <laughs> you know, it was a journey. It was a, it was a great learning experience, though, so definitely highs and lows, uh, but definitely being a student athlete kind of prepared me, you know, for adversity and understanding you know, things just aren't always going to go your way and just kind of handle those situations mentally. So um, about, was it 2013? I think I was in shoot, year three or four of the program. And I, you know, was kind of like going with the norm. I was kind of observing many people in the program and Many people were starting to get jobs at that stage, and I was ABD, so I was like, let me start applying for some positions, and mm -hmm. I applied to mainly small schools, because I, I always wanted to teach, at te go to a teaching university, so I started out as a program coordinator and assistant professor at Defiance College, a small Division three school in Northwest Ohio. So I was hired there in 2013, not thinking that I would be there three years, mm -hmm. <laughs> but but it gave me an opportunity to, to do some things. So while I was there, you know, I got some experience first and foremost as a teacher, but also as an administrator, as their program coordinator, very small programs so that was manageable for somebody with my status. But I also did some volunteer coaching, which was kind of my first experience with that. And it was great, you know, mm. to to see the kind of the other side, uh, player coach type of thing. Um, and Division three, you know, I had no mm. experience with that level. So it was very intriguing, very insightful. And in 2015, I defended my dissertation and in 2016, I got married. So if everything kind of like, you know, fell into place right when I needed it to. Um, mm -hmm. So I was three years in at Defiance at that point. And um, I had been planting some seeds here and there, you know, revisiting UND's campus, staying in touch with my former professor and program director and just kind of, you know, waiting, waiting my turn, so to speak. And when they finally had a, a full-time opening, they reached out and let me know. And I threw my name in that hat and did the interview process. And they welcomed me back in 2016. Um, so it was right on time, you know. I had just mm -hmm. gotten married, like, in June. I started that interview process in July and, you know, hopped right in in August of 2016. So um, it was very, it was, it was, like I said, it was right on time, but also it wasn't an easy transition just because I was going from a university with a very different student dynamic, uh, Defiance College, very rural, you know, mm -hmm. many of the students Many I came in contact with many students who were homeschooled and things like that. And to come mm. back to UND, you know, there was just a different student population that I had to adjust to. So it took, it took about a year and a half before I really understood, you know, how to best deliver content to this new student population. But once I got it, you know, I became more comfortable because usually once you start, you usually are teaching the same courses every semester so prepping got easier and I started seeing improvements in course evaluations and starting to feel like okay I think I can you know I could do this long term so mm -hmm. um, tenure usually takes 
five years. So after five years, you submit a dossier and uh, the dossier includes, you know, all of your work uh, as it relates to excellence in teaching, service, and scholarship with the main focus being teaching. So, you know, that was kind of the bulk of my narratives and things like that was talking about, you know, course evaluations, student comments, and class projects that I had developed. And Mm -hmm. so I submitted all that. That took me like a good, a good summer, right, to, to get all that done. I submitted it in the fall of 21 and uh, was granted promotion and tenure uh, that following fall. And uh, it's, it's, it was a relief, you know, that's a big, that's a big step. It's a big hurdle. Yeah. That's not something that that's always guaranteed. That's not something that that's even offered at, at many universities anymore. So it gave me somewhat some security, you know, to, mm-hmm. to reach to reach that level. And I, and I appreciate, you know, just the people that were kind of in my corner along the way. My program director was great uh, with, you know, just helping me along the way, setting me up for success when it came to, you know, those annual evaluations every year and goal setting and things like that. So I was very grateful just to be in, in a program where, you know, I have the support and the encouragement and mostly, you know, something that kind of kept me going was, being able to then start build relationships with students. You know, mm-hmm. I went from, you know, not really not really understanding them and what they wanted to, you know, it kind of being a two-way relationship where now they get me, they understand my methods and my delivery. And I was uh, fortunate enough last year to receive the Student Choice Award two times. Oh, which, wow. was, which was great, you know, because that really tells me something, you know, that process. We used to do it where we just, you know, take the averages from course evaluations and then we changed it to, you know, students actually have to vote, you know, have to, you know, take their time and vote for you and leave comments. And to have that done two semesters in a row last year was was pretty amazing for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like I said, it helped me to just, you know, solidify that, you know, this is, this is a good place for me for now. And so, yeah, seven years later, here I am now somewhat not taking a break, but trying to, <laughs> trying to coast, you know, a little bit and take it all in. But at the same time, you know, the next ranking is full professor. And I definitely, you know, I want to be successful when I go up for that promotion and about, four years or so. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Congratulations. Way to stick with it. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> along the way we met. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just, as far as like the teaching piece of everything, it's like, I, I really do enjoy teaching. What, but what aspects of it do you enjoy? Like, I know you said getting to know the students a little bit more and having that two-way interaction, but what is it that you get out of teaching to be invested? I think for it's been longer than seven years because you did it for three years at Defiance. So for right. almost you know over a decade of teaching, mm-hmm. what inspires um, you to do it? Well, because this is a sport-related major, I come in contact with a lot of student athletes, and mm-hmm. um, something that I I find you know, that can be a challenge with student athletes because we've all been there is is that understanding that you're more than just your sport. And mm-hmm. although there's there's other students, right, I tend to, I guess, relate more to the student athletes and being able to, you know, pu- pull more out of them as students, helping mm-hmm. them to realize they can do more than just play their sport. And ultimately, you know, seeing the ones that struggle with balance and time management and help them kind of focus on a career at the end of the day and helping them ultimately get jobs like that. That's Mm -hmm. the most gratifying thing for me is 
you know, after that first four years, it was it was it was really clicking for me because then you know I had been with a group, you know, from freshman to senior year, and I had mm-hmm. been able to see their development and a career rise and as athletes. And when I can actually, you know, make a difference for somebody, that that really feels good to say, you know, one, you know, we're in Indianapolis, amateur sport capital of the world. So there's opportunities out there. Yeah. And my position as internship coordinator has helped me kind of build other relationships with organizations in this area and being able to, to just know I have connections to be able to connect people with the right organizations and just help them pro- develop professionally has been great. All right. Okay. Um, well, what ha- is your research area on? I don't remember either about your dissertation. I feel like you write that dissertation and then you're like, <laughs> let me hide it, let me bury it and never, but I mean, I guess you went into academia, so you probably still have to refer to yours, but, um, <laughs> My dissertation topic was on um, developing brand equity in campus recreational sports. Um, And so I basically kind of have stayed under the umbrella of brand equity, specifically Mm -hmm. consumer-based brand equity. So a lot of my research has dealt with um, sport and brand management. More recently, I've uh, focused a lot more on branding and women's sports. Mm. Uh, And it has, you know, kind of opened up kind of another kind of network for me. I've been involved with uh, Wasserman's collective think tank for the past three years now. That's very cool. It's very cool. It's very gratifying. Uh, lots of opportunity there. Lots of women just collectively working together just to create more equity for women in sports and entertainment. So um, some of the the recent projects I've worked on have dealt with uh, sexism in women's soccer and hope mm. to, to have a white paper come out on that soon. Um yeah, but primarily brand equity, sports brand equity is my has been my area. Okay. Interesting, interesting. What um what do you think that you would be doing if you were not teaching? Ooh. Um or have you even thought about that? Or is this something you just want to do and ride off into the sunset and do <laughs> education and academia? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. Uh, I think I think I could probably see myself coaching um, mm-hmm. at some point, but right now, yeah, I, I'm sold on on this dynamic right now because it just yeah. fits. It just fits my household right now. My kids are still pretty young, uh, but as they get older, I could see myself potentially. Uh, doing more on the athletics administration side in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm still kind of slowly but surely trying to get myself out there in consulting world. Mm-hmm. Um, with just with all the opportunities in the Indianapolis area, I, I think there's there's opportunities there for that, especially with the research line that I'm focusing on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've had some meetings with the Indiana Fever and, and hopefully I can, you know, continue to gain their attention and hopefully get some partnerships going with them and, and some of the things that I'll be doing in the future. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like, uh, I feel like so many people hit me up and they're like, oh, I'm thinking I'll get my doctorate in this or, um, you know, should I get my doctor this? First of all, I'm like, don't ask me. So I'm going to be like, no, don't go to school. <laughs> uh, stop school immediately. No, um, 
but I feel like for me being, I always had wanted to, when I had the opportunity to get my doctorate as well from Indiana University, it was like, I'm going to do this, but I want to find a way to bridge putting it into practice. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, oh, I'm going to teach um, mm-hmm. and have that by me career, that be my career. So, um, I mean, if you do think about doing something in administrating or an administration, or if you continue to do any type of consulting, I, I mean, I 150% encourage it. It's, uh, I feel like my research background and just some of the things that you're taught when you're like broken down to start the process of getting your doctorate. Um, it, I feel like it helps me. I feel like it, it's really helped me to just think through very complex situations when it comes to athletic administration or professional sports. Um, and I, I just, I think it's a unique benefit, you know, like it's yeah. like a, a secret superpower, you know, like if people try to play you too. Like I remember when I, you know, working in professional sports, like, Hey doc, what do you think? Doc, doc, you know, like, what a lame shit or doctor. She's selling tickets, you know, but um, I mean, but I was, I was successful at it because I, you know, I think it takes, it takes like your individual willpower to want to do something obviously, but Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a little bit of being a former student athlete or being an athlete for a great portion of your life. And then also, mm-hmm. like I said, it's just, it's, it's having that complex, like you're just able to see things from a lot of different points of view, or you're able right. to gather things and be able to be like, okay, well, let me see some research has said that people have done this. And so I'm going to try a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, like I just, mm-hmm. I think that it, it it just helps you to see things a little bit differently than those that do not have um, higher education in it. But uh, yeah, people, people joke and kid to your face and I'm like, aha, but I'm going to be successful at this. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Like it helps you add the important questions, right? Like how we can, how we learn how to conceptualize things and put things not just, in a research perspective, but you always learn the practical side, you know, that comes from the data and how to use it and things like that. And many people don't have those, those tools. Mm-hmm. Not those types of skills. Absolutely. Um, well, saying that you're like talking to the fever, that's exciting. So what have you seen recently within your research, if you don't mind sharing, um, you know, looking at brand equity, what have been some things that have stood out to you? Um, well, first that there's just not a lot out there. Uh, I kind of started this line by doing just kind of a simple literature review, okay? Like, who's actually done research in this area? And I found like, you know, like maybe 10 or 11 articles that explicitly uh, focused on exploring branding in women in a women's sports context so oh, wow. that, so that's where I started and, and I kind of put that out there is like okay this is the first need like we need people studying this uh, and I feel like since then though you know we've we've seen a handbook come out um, this Wasserman think tank in itself I think is is, is great mm-hmm. right they're doing a lot of great things uh, for women's sports uh, but recently, a study that I worked on with a colleague of mine, as it relates to women's soccer, uh, basically, it said the sexism is still a problem, and it's a BS excuse for shortchanging short women's sports and mm-hmm. soccer, you know, and, and just in soccer in general, uh, the main driver of fans of women's soccer, right, is that it's soccer. Right, but mm-hmm. gender and gender role expectations are still a factor. So if we looked at attitude towards women and women's soccer, you see a negative relationship. And that's mm-hmm. because engagement with soccer is the main factor. But if you go back and control for that, you see an additive effect of progressive gender role expectations. And that's something that we're hoping to kind of pull out in this white paper 
that I hoping comes out by by March um, mm-hmm. through through the collective group. So that's that that's a the main thing is that one we we need to have more people studying this, and two mm-hmm. like here here are some of the things the main reason for it, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like recently, at least, I mean, it feels like the last 12 months, I've seen a lot when it comes to women's sports. I feel like there's been, like, Athletes Unlimited, is that, Mm -hmm. I I believe that's what it is. I just have seen it as AU. Um, But then there's just women's sports. I feel like, um, I feel like I haven't seen a whole lot when it comes to, like, ESPNW. I feel like that was like years and years ago. I haven't seen like a whole lot of stuff. But anyway, I just feel like there's been a little bit more of a peaked interest in mm-hmm. wanting to promote women's sports. Um, and, you know, then I feel like a lot of stuff always comes up about pay and mm-hmm. equal pay. And then it's it's a confusion around, well, what do you mean with equal pay? Do you think that women in professional leagues should be getting paid the same as men in professional leagues? And, you know, so it's just, I feel like there's been a little bit of a zhuzh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's a movement. There's definitely a movement. There definitely okay. has been a movement in the past, I would say, five or six years for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we got to keep moving. Right? We got to yeah. keep moving. We got to have more people on board. And, and we have to have allies, you know. We, we can't do it all by ourselves because, you know, when you look at the structure, the power structure in most of these big organizations, it's still men. So, yeah. you know, we gotta, we gotta have them on board with, with the things that we're putting out. Yeah. It's tough though, too, because I feel like, um, it's disheartening when it's the first still. Right, in right. In 2023. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. even if it's the first black or first Hispanic or first Asian or first just woman in general I'm just like really I mean you, you celebrate it but then you're like huh <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I thought we were a yeah further yeah. along than this <laughs> absolutely so it's just it's uh it's kind of disheartening when you think about it in that way do you do anything or have you investigated at all when it comes to the name image and likeness stuff that is happening for college athletes? I have not. I have not. Um, other than just informal conversations in classes right now, I haven't dug into that mm-hmm. just yet. Um, I would like to, though. I definitely am interested in doing more Doing more of it. Um, it some of it kind of came out in a in an op-ed that I did over the summer related mm-hmm. to Title Title Nine, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just in terms of how there's still, you know, yes, this is a great opportunity for student athletes, but there's still inequities, and in when you compare women athletes to men athletes, and then you break it down even further, you know, on the women's side there's inequities between you know the type of women athletes that companies target for these types mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. yeah I just I mean I was just thinking I um handle all of the name and likeness for my athletic department so it just was making me think that I feel like there is a connection there if you're looking for brand equity stuff um a lot of them pump out incredible statistics um, a lot of these different companies, um, you know, we work with Open Doors. I know then there's another big one, Influencer. Um, but I just know they pump out a lot of cool stats and percentages. And I want to say that I read it somewhere that it was like 70%, I think, of the activity for NIL was still for, it was for men. Mm-hmm. or for male student-athletes, um, as opposed to women student-athletes getting deals. And then mm-hmm. it was also really interesting to see just kind of what you just said, as far as why. Why mm-hmm. were they dealing with certain male athletes, but then when it came to the women's athletes, they were looking for something different, or they were focused more on, um, focused maybe more on their, in air quotes, brand, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, and they're following across social media platforms as opposed to maybe on the male side, it's more skewed towards their performance, you know, or like right. their mm-hmm. actual athletic ability um, within their respective sports. So mm-hmm. just all super interesting information. I don't, um, yeah, I can't say that I'm an expert, but I am consuming <laughs> as much possible information as I can on it um, to get as close to that as I can. It's just, mm-hmm. it's difficult because it's con- it's continuing to change. You know, I just feel like yeah. with the NCAA in general, like all that stuff is just so um, in flux. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that mm-hmm. is um, continuing to flow and um, right. not really taking a form right now. So it's kind of difficult right. to get your hands on it. It is. Um, Once you think you get an understanding, oh, then there's a different policy. Then there's a revision to this or that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and then I also am just a little, you know, I'm super cautious. I don't really understand about the collectives. You know, I think... Mm-hmm. Um, it's like in my mind, I'm like, ah, if I squirt and tilt my hand to the right, it kind of makes sense. Um, but I just, you know, but I'm, I'm just kind of confused as far as how that works and how that can be on the up and up. Um, it's I don't borderline, know. man. It's very, I, I look at it as very gray, you know, and they are, they're not created equal. I can tell you that, right? They're not created Absolutely. equal. They don't operate right in the same vein so it's so interesting yeah. it's so interesting I talk about this all day um yeah I think I've seen a couple of places because like I said I just I will consume when I have like some free time I'm like okay let me educate myself on if there's anything new um I've seen a couple of institutions where I'm like oh okay they got this set up this is nice you know and then they have like this give back component um for the money that people are making but I just yeah I'm just super cautious. I'm not going to say that people are doing things wrong. You know, I'm going to have high hopes that they got their stuff mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just, <laughs> I'm just going to hold my breath on it. The jury's out. I don't really know um, <laughs> about jumping head first into something like that. But I mean, I guess it makes sense if you're an SEC school. I don't know. Right. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, well, I want to know about mentorship so when you were coming along um did you have mentors that or did you have you had a mentor from maybe undergrad or graduate school that you have kept with you along the way Mm -hmm. um well as an undergrad i i looked up to one of my marketing professors his name was larry the Uh, He recently retired from our university, but it was really cool to have him as a undergraduate professor and keep in contact with him. Like he was really good at kind of helping me understand like the type of university that I wanted to land. And once Mm -hmm. I came back to UND, like we have coffee every semester and he would just, you know, be very helpful in terms of like helping me navigate one being back at that particular institution because he had been there so long and uh he was a big reason that I got hooked up with Wasserman um so he's been a a huge uh, mentor to me on the side of just research and just how to navigate the institutional side of things and um my doctoral advisor uh, has actually been a big help, you know, since graduating and, and being in the field, Dr. Antonio Williams, like, so he was a big help with just moving, moving universities and, you know, what do I say, what do I say to them and how do I do this and how do I move in those types of regards and anytime, you know, I need advice from him, he's always there they both, you know, were, you know, big supporters of promotion and tenure. They wrote letters for me. So I was very grateful for them. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And also just to go back to my my program director, Dr. Van Sickle, you know, she's kind of a a veteran in in the teaching game. Like I said, she was my Mm -hmm. professor as an undergraduate student. uh, And she does a lot in like service learning 
which is really big at our school, like partnering with different organizations to give students experiences like hands-on learning with a, a community organization, like that's her thing. And, and she's really helped me kind of break into that area in a lot of my mm -hmm. classes. So yeah, it, it's been, I've been fortunate, you know, to, to have some people uh, be there, you know, in those different aspects. Uh, one of my recent mentors, as I was looking for one in the industry, for a while and uh, one of our advisory board members Gail Dent mm -hmm. from the NCAA uh, she's been she's been great she's been a great mentor to me the last few years uh, she's kind of helping me understand the importance of DE&I right mm -hmm. and, and how that needs to be infused a lot more into not just sport management as a field, but the sport management curriculum and, and getting students to understand why, why it's so significant and why they need to know what it is and, and how to apply it in their future careers. Mm. Okay. So that is uh, one Black woman that has been a mentor to you. I, I, I have done this with myself where I'm like, okay, what mentors have I had? And, you know, you said Antonio and um, I think of Dr. Peterson, you know, he's somebody that is still in my life um, and still hits me up for different opportunities to be a part of things when publishing and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, when I do this exercise, I'm like, oh, it's men. Um, you're right, right. <laughs> like right, you're right. <laughs> You're right. I haven't, I have not had a lot of um, female mentorship and I feel like it's not for a lack of trying, you know, mm -hmm. um, I feel like sometimes too, when I've been in programs or I've gone to things that I'll gravitate more towards another woman or black woman even, mm -hmm. you know, and then I feel like it almost becomes um, competitive or petty. Like I can't even... <laughs> <laughs> word. Um, and so it's so disheartening so I, I, yeah. I, mean, I feel like I've tried my entire career um, mm -hmm. and I mean I, I still feel like I'm 21 years old um, <laughs> so you know but it's like I feel like I always am trying to <clears throat> lift people up and I feel like I do try to think about it past the good old boys club where it's like mm -hmm. okay this woman, I want to make sure that we have women in the pool that when interviewing for this particular mm -hmm. position, or it'd be really great to have a female voice. We've never had one, you know, in this mm -hmm. particular area of whatever. Um, and so I really try to think about that type of stuff at a foundational level. And, you know, I feel like on social media too, people reach out all the time. Um, and I always will be like, okay, let me be thoughtful as far as I'm going to make myself available, you know, or <laughs> I will say something or I will respond and, you know, or maybe <clears throat> I'll give you some tips or insider things that maybe have worked for me um, for mm -hmm. my career. So it's like, I, I do feel like I try to be very cognizant of that. And it's just, it's disappointing, you know? So I think mm -hmm. for the next wave, I'm, I'm trying to be more focused on um, being a mentor, being a better mentor um, and to help, push others that look like me um mm -hmm. because even though I know that it's not a monolith it's like not all black women are exactly the same no mm -hmm. one is exactly the same but you know I just feel like from the outside looking in I do think that some people think people are you know like yeah absolutely the same. yeah 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 I get that absolutely get that so it's just it's um, it's like it's so difficult. Yes, the DEI stuff is incredibly important, but it has to really be foundational. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like there's been this overwhelming changing of the guard uh, since the reckoning of 2020. Um, mm -hmm. But now it's like, how do we continue that? You know, right. how do we make it so it wasn't just a hot topic, right. or a buzzword? Right. You know, what right. do we do to implement this and to incur real change? Do you feel like there had been a shift 
even, you know, you being at UND for as long as you have, did, have, did mm -hmm. you see any type of a shift during that or um, what had happened in 2020 for y'all? I feel like they're trying. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we, we have since hired a chief uh, officer of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, she's wearing many hats right now just because administratively, like, we're kind of all over the place. We're mm -hmm. hiring a, in the, in the, um, currently hiring a, a president as well as a athletic director. Mm -hmm. So things like you say are in flux, you know, from that standpoint. And there's a lot of change going on. Uh, we're making efforts, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it takes everybody buying in and having an open mind and understanding why the conversations are necessary. Um, mm -hmm. In my role, you know, one of the things that I want to do uh, soon is, you know, from a curriculum standpoint in sport management, take a look at what everybody's doing, right? It, like, does, does, from a program standpoint, you know, I know the University of Massachusetts does an excellent job of this, uh, mm -hmm. but in terms of nationwide in sport management, are, are programs implementing a diversity in sport course, mm -hmm. right? And, and what does that look like, right? Just from a plain content analysis standpoint, I want to start there and then mm -hmm. kind of like branch out and maybe do some surveys of sport management faculty and ask them, you know, what is your perception of this in the curriculum? Like, do you think it's important? Do you think it's needed? And I know in my classes, we talk about it in every class, whether it's governance and ethics or history and culture of sport or organizational leadership, because it, it's there, right? Mm -hmm. It's there. It's necessary. Um, I don't, I'm not quite sure if from the student side they get it just yet um, mm -hmm. but I think that's why I think having them immersed in an actual uh, so full semester of it is necessary mm -hmm. no absolutely it's just um, it's it's tough you know I think um, just in college athletics too um, no, I mean, I'm sure just higher education as a whole, but me more specifically in college athletics, it's uh, it's been a rough go the past few mm -hmm. years. Um, and I definitely feel like DEI got put, you know, there's so many different things that are coming up with this new generation, the generation now and the generation coming up. It's like, there's so much to deal with when it comes mm -hmm. to inclusivity and um, everything is just being laid at the feet of whoever it is that's managing your DEI. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. I feel like in 2020, we had this call to action for black Americans and then everything else just has now kind of bundled up into, okay, well now DEI is handling everything. <laughs> you know, as far as like, <laughs> inclusivity. And you should, but I definitely feel, um, at least from my personal experience of doing DI for a department, it's like the, there's still that call to action for the Black staff and Black student-athlete experience that is separate mm -hmm. of some of this other stuff that we're doing. And I think also, too, each individual thing still needs to be separate. I don't think that it could just be like a catch-all, we're gonna do this training and now everybody's gonna just be able to be colorblind, you know, which is incredibly <laughs> dangerous to say. So it's just, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's an incredibly heavy lift. Um, and with departments being hampered down with um, the ramifications of having a lockdown for two years, it's like, I can't even believe that we lived through that. Um, right. they can't afford to bring on, I don't, you know, you need to bring on somebody. You can't just have like the, a black person from your staff, take it all on. You know, you actually mm -hmm. probably need to hire somebody who is educated in that and not just one person, you need to give them a budget and you probably need to have multiple people because mm -hmm. there's so many different issues that need right. to be right, attacked. Right.
Right, it's not just color, it's LGBTQ, nah, it's, absolutely. it's a lot of different things that, that really do matter and that really do affect the student-athletes, the employees, all those different experiences that go into higher education. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, one person, one person can't do it all. No. And then when I think about, um, at least for us, we have 31 varsity sports, girl. Oh, wow. and uh, when I think about it, it's like, um, you know, some of them are historically and predominantly white, white, you know, or, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and so I think you have to educate student athletes about that, you know, like the cohort and the community every few years, because kids leave, you know, I think they need to be educated on those types of sports and sport programs. I think coaches also need to then be educated to see blind spots, you know, mm-hmm are there people of color or that are not white or the not the majority of what it is on your team that are playing these sports? You know, like we just have to make sure that everybody is seeing it from all different angles. And I just, you know, it's just such an overwhelming thing that I think people are like, nope, just in fear of doing, in fear of saying or doing the wrong thing, I choose to just pretend like nothing's wrong. Or like, you know, I can't deal with any of it. You you become um, so hypersensitive that you're numb. You know, you're just like, I, I can't, I'm frozen. I can't, I can't move. I can't do anything because I'm going to do it wrong. Um, yeah. So it's just, uh, ugh. it gives me chills to think about yeah. it. Um, it's, it's an uncomfortable lot. situation. It's an uncomfortable situation, but everybody's got to get used to it. Like, you know, like you said, it, it just is what it is. You know, I say it all the time, whether you're an athlete or just somebody looking to break into the industry, you get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and then the first step is getting comfortable talking about it. Like I tell my students all the time, like I teach a history and culture of sport class and it can get very racy and they get mm-hmm. quiet and they get quiet and I'm like, you know, do you think this is comfortable for me? <laughs> you know, right. it's not comfortable, you know, coming in and, and having to have this dialogue with you guys. But the more comfortable you become, right, and the more empathetic and understanding you become to the reality of, you know, our history and, and how it parallels to today, you know, the better equipped you'll be to go into whatever organization it is in the future and and operate, you know, with those things in mind. Yep, absolutely. I think also too, it's funny. I was I was thinking about this during the Super Bowl, so this is so strange that this popped in my head. I was thinking about <laughs> I've never seen a course or anything like that you can take it as a student athlete on how music has desensitized us to the N word. Mm-hmm. And how I think that that sometimes could reflect then in language, just with dealing with conflict or good times or bad times on teams mm-hmm. and how isolating that could be if you're on a team that you're on the minority. And like, yep. do you stop somebody from using that word when it's something where, well, yesterday we were all sitting, you know, we were jamming out in the locker room. We were listening to this and we were all singing along and didn't say anything. You know, like it's just... It seems so simple and it seems so base level, but it's like, it's a big deal. And and it causes this like desensitization to it, to where you feel empowered to just say it. Or when you get upset and you're dealing with conflict, you say it. And then it's like, oh my gosh, you've just now isolated this person. And that's like a racist attack Mm -hmm. by, you know, but like, but you don't see it that way. And well, you listen to that music. So is it really that way? And then it's like gaslighting (laughs) and you know, it's just, yeah, ah! yeah. <laughs> something is something as basic as just like warm-up music or yeah. music that's getting you pumped up so yeah this is my this is my doctoral hat brain uh where I think <laughs> about like is there a class for that that's so intriguing <laughs> right right yeah well I'm watching the Rihanna halftime show so uh, <laughs> taken on the role of being like a specific or very intentional mentor for people um I can't say that I have 
just yet. Um, I have students, you know, who have gone on and graduated who I think seek me out for advice from time to time, but I wouldn't say that anything has been like intentional mm-hmm. at all at this point, but I'm definitely open to it. Yes. Well, I'm charging you now that you are a tenured associate professor. You gonna have to mentor somebody, girl. You're right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, but to I'm sorry to finish things up. Um, what has been some amazing advice that you've been given throughout your career? Um, to be honest, like since I was a PhD student. I can't I can't recall anything specific, but something that I I tell all of my friends and family when because something I'm proud of, you know, just from a a family standpoint is I'm like one of the the younger women in my family and I was kind of one of the first to get a terminal degree and mm-hmm. since I've gotten my PhD I've had two older cousins complete theirs and my older sisters is currently you know in the comprehensive stage so oh, awesome. something that I've kind of learned and it was really really wasn't from anybody in particular I may have heard this on Grey's Anatomy <laughs> but, <laughs> but but it stuck with me and it, it makes so much sense like when you're going through different processes in your life is just, you know, you want to get done, right? Mm -hmm. That's all you can think about is getting done. And something that I tell them all the time when they get in that mode is like, you know, there's no finish line. You just Mm got to keep going, right? Like I just completed a pretty big area of my life as promotion and tenure, but Mm -hmm. that's not the finish line. You know, you still got to keep going. So no matter what, you know, don't don't look at life as like there's a finish line or, you know, when I get this, I'm done. Nope, that that's not really the case. You just you just gotta keep moving, you gotta keep going. Right. Right. In the words of Nipsey Hustle, it's a marathon. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Isabel. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful to speak with you and to catch up today. Yes, ma'am. So great to catch up with you, too. And best of luck in all your endeavors at Columbia. I think it's amazing that you're at an Ivy League school doing what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, really enjoy this. And these kids are smart. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I can't even remember class. <laughs> Just kidding. I was a great student. Um, but no, congratulations to you. I'm so excited that you're tenured. That's incredible. And you're a mama. You're out here doing it. Um, incredible things. So um, I just, I want to continue to hear about your incredible and continued success. So continue to do what you're doing, girl. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank you. me. Thank you.